through his word to us in sacred scripture and through each other. Help enliven in our hearts a disposition of understanding and receptivity. And especially help us go forward from this evening ready to bring God's redeeming love to the world. I love the Lord who listened to my voice in supplication, who turned an ear to me on the day I called. I was caught by the cords of death. The snares of Sheol had seized me. I felt agony and dread. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and just. Yes, our Lord is merciful. The Lord protects the simple. I was helpless, but God saved me. Return my soul to your rest. The Lord has been good to you. My soul has been freed from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I kept faith even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, no one can be trusted. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? I'll raise the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Too costly in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful. Lord, I am your servant, your servant, the child of your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his peoples and the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. It's good to see everybody tonight. Uh, stomach bug is going around. We had it in our house Sunday night to Monday. Uh, I think by God's grace, I was spared so that I could take care of our daughter as my wife suffered the worst of it. And it was pretty rough on her. So she's just feeling better, um, like kind of today, uh, just lingering. So um, I hope that everyone stays well. If you are in the danger of dying, though, in the next few hours, days, or in the years. Perfect topic for tonight as we talk about uh, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Uh, let's see, was it the last things that I wanted to do story time with Blake? I think it was when we talked about that and I wanted to read a little bit of a segment from The Last Battle, um, which I think beautifully illustrates kind of the end, uh, the end goal of our life, what we ultimately want to see. Well, tonight's an opportunity for story time with Blake. Um, I'm going to read from The Return of the King. So it's the last book in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, which maybe you've read, but more likely you've probably seen the movies. Um, I don't want to be a snob and say that the books are so much better than the movies. They're just much deeper. I, I'm a person that stands that the Lord of the Rings trilogy movies um, the Hobbits may be a different story, but I think by and large they're entertaining, but they're pretty faithful to the book, um, and there's still very good redeeming aspects of that popular media. Um, but you really see 
Tolkien's Catholicism come to life in the way that he portrays his characters. And so to begin us as an introduction for tonight and our topic, um, just to kind of set the scene, this is at the end of all the battles. Um, still left to go is kind of the end of Frodo's story where he takes the ring, spoiler alert, and drops it in Mount Doom um, to destroy Sauron once and for all. But for the sake of Gondor and the Battle of Gondor, which is the capital of the south for people of men, um, the battle has been won. And they're kind of claiming up everything from the wreckage. They're taking the sick and the injured to be healed. Um, and this is where we get into the story. Aragorn is the main character. I think we'll see kind of who, what role he plays. Gandalf is another main character throughout the story of Lord of the Rings. Um, there are two names. The rest of them, you probably are not going to recognize the names, but they're minor characters and they only play a part in this scene. Um, but just have that in mind, Aragorn is entering into the city and he is entering into the House of Healing to care for those who are wounded. Then Gandalf said, Let us not stay at the door, for the time is urgent, let us enter. For it is only in the coming of Aragorn that any hope remains for the sick that lie in the house. Thus spoke Iorith, wise woman of Gondor. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. Then Aragorn entered first, and the others followed. As they went towards the rooms where the sick were tended, Gandalf told of the deeds of Eowyn and Meridoc. For he said, Long have I stood by them. At first they spoke much in their dreaming, before they sank into the deadly darkness. Also it is given to me to see many things far off. Aragorn first went to Faramir, and then to the Lady Eowyn, and last to Mary. When he had looked on the faces of the sick, and seeing their hurts, he sighed. Here I must put forth all such power and skill as is given to me, he said. And Aramir, seeing that he was both sorrowful and weary, said, First you must rest, surely, at least eat a little. But Aragorn answered, Nay, for these three, and most soon for Faramir, time is running out, all speed is needed. Then he came to Iorith and he said, You have store in this house of the herbs of healing? Yes, Lord, she answered, but not enough, I reckon, for all that will need them. But I am sure I do not know where we shall find more. For all things are amiss in these dreadful days. What with fire and burnings and the lads that run errands so few, and all the roads blocked, why, it is days out of count ever since a carrier came into the market. Will we do our best in this house with what we have, as I am sure your lordship will know? I will judge that when I see, said Aragorn. One thing also is short, time for speech. Have you Ethelas? I do not know, I am sure, lord, she answered, at least not by that name. I will go and ask of the herb master. He knows all the old names. It is also called King's Foil, said Aragorn. Maybe you know it by that name. 
for so the country folk call it in these latter days. Oh, that, said Irith. Well, if your lordship had named it at first, I could have told you. No, we have none of it, I am sure. Why, I have never heard that had any great virtue. Indeed, I have often said to my sisters, when we came upon it growing in the woods, Kingsfoil, I said, tis a strange name, and I wonder why tis called so, for if I were a king, I would have plants more bright in my garden. Still, it smells sweet when bruised, does it not? If sweet is the right word, wholesome maybe is nearer. Wholesome verily, said Aragorn. And now, dame, if you love the Lord Fearmare, run as quickly as your tongue and get me king's foil if there is a leaf in the city. When Irith was gone, Aragorn bade the other women to make water hot. Then he took Faramir's hand in his and laid the other hand upon the sick man's brow. It was drenched with sweat, but Faramir did not move or make any sign, and seemed hardly to breathe. Thereupon the herb master entered. Your lordship asked for king's foil, as the rustics name it. He said, or Athelas, in the noble tongue. I do so, said Aragorn, so as long as you have some. Your pardon, Lord, said the man. I see you are a lore master, not merely a captain of war, but alas, sir, we do not keep this thing in the house of healing, where only the gravely hurt or sick are tended, for it has no, no virtue that we know of, save perhaps to sweeten a fouled air, or to drive away some passing heaviness. Unless, of course, you give heed to the rhymes of old days, which women such as our good Irith still speak without understanding. When the black breath blows, and death's shadow grows, and all lights pass, come Athelas, come Athelas, life to the dying in the king's hands lying. Now Aragorn knelt beside Faramir, and held a hand upon his brow. All those that watch felt with some great struggle was going on, for Aragorn's face grew gray with weariness, and ever and anon he called the name of Faramir, but each time more faintly to the hearing, as if Aragorn himself was removed from them, and walked afar in some dark vale, calling for one that was lost. And at last Beragil came running in, and he bore six leaves in a cloth. It is king's foil, sir, he said, but not fresh, I fear. It must have been called two weeks ago at the least. I hope it will serve, sir. Then looking at Faramir, he burst into tears. The Aragorn smiled. It will serve, he said. The worst is now over. Stay and be comforted. Then taking two leaves, he laid them on his hands and breathed on them. And then he crushed them, and straight away a living freshness filled the room as if the air itself awoke and tingled, sparkling with joy. And then he cast the leaves into the bowls of steaming water that were brought to him. And at once all hearts were lightened, for the fragrance that came to each was like the memory of a dewy morning of an unshadowed sun in some land of which the fair world in spring itself, but a fleeting memory. The Aragorn stood up as one refreshed, and his eyes smiled as he held a bowl before Faramir's dreaming face. 
Suddenly Faramir stirred and his, opened his eyes, and he looked upon Aragorn who bent over him, and a light of knowledge and love was kindled in his eyes, and he spoke softly, My lord, you called me. I come. What does the king command? Walk no more in the shadows, but awake, said Aragorn. You are weary. Rest a while and take food, and be ready when I return. I will, Lord, said Faramir. Who would lie idle when the king has returned? Farewell then for a while, said Aragorn. I must go to the others who need me. And he left the chamber with Gandalf, and the others remained behind, unable to contain their joy. As he followed Gandalf and shut the door, Pippin heard Irith exclaim, King, did you hear that? What did I say? The hands of the healer, I said. And soon word had gone out from the house that the king was indeed come among them. And after war, he brought healing, and the news ran through the city. So I hope you can see in this brief image from The Lord of the Rings who this Aragorn represents. So our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King who comes into the city. And that's what I love about that ending account with Faramir. It's one who's almost had a conversion. From the darkness, he was specifically in this story, one who had been uh, plagued by the foe, the enemy, and wounded. But in a sense, if we're looking at it more broadly, he's ready to now follow after the king, come what may. And that's where I love it too at the end when Aragorn says, I will come again. Because for us, like we're waiting in that expectation. I will come again. Lord, what do you want me to do right now? So I hope you enjoyed story time with Blake. Saw the beautiful richness of what Tolkien does in The Lord of the Rings. Um, we're going to talk about one aspect of it later uh, that ties together with the bread that sustains the Fellowship of the Ring along the way and its actual connection to the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Uh, to begin, let's just review with grace, the sacraments, and then the meaning of oil, which is integral to this sacrament. So uh, just quickly again, grace and the sacraments, what is grace? Grace is the favor, the free, undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature, and of eternal life. It restores us to right relationship with God, and it actually changes us. It divinizes us, as it says, becomes partakers of the divine nature. So we don't remain the same when we participate with God's grace. We become conformed to his image and our his image in the world. We've talked sanctifying grace, the grace that heals our soul and restores us to God and his divine life in us. When we talked that first night, I said grace, sanctifying grace, God's life living within us. But then there's actual graces that God gives us every single moment of every day to respond to him, to follow after him that endows us with a capacity or capability to act according to his goodwill. And 
grace is mediated to us through physical experiences because we are human beings, we're bodies and souls, and so we relate to God through the material world. He makes the spiritual present to us in the sacraments. So sacraments are outward signs <laughs> instituted by Christ to give us grace. And if you remember, we talked about kind of some of the, the matter, the stuff of the sacraments, baptisms, water, um, the Eucharist, bread, wine. I didn't want to just skip to like confirmation, oil, but it leads us to that. Oil. So we talked about in the sacrament of confirmation. I um, just want to briefly review what's the meaning of oil. So this section from the catechism comes from when it specifically talks about confirmation, but we could draw the same parallels in talking with the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, which also has its proper matter as oil. But oil and anointing signifies and imprints a spiritual seal. There's something spiritual going on by this anointing with oil. It's rich in meaning. It is a sign of abundance and joy. It cleanses. You might oil your skin after a bath if you're particularly dry, oily bohunk like me in this dry winter that we're having. It limbers. If you remember I talked about the ancient Greeks would rub oil on their skin so it makes them slippery against their opponent. Oil and confirmation makes us slippery in the hands of the devil. It's harder to get a hold of us. Um, but it's also a sign of healing. And it's, it is soothing to bruises and wounds. So we have burn salve. I mentioned this. And that word salve is root word for salvation. And so it heals us. And then it makes radiant with beauty, health, and strength. So having all that kind of brought back to mind, let's talk about the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. That little box there comes from Josh's great handout that he prepared and was shared with us. We're going to kind of walk through the various components of it. Um, but just to fall back on that, if you're like, okay, what's a brief encapsulation for what does it mean, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick? Um, it's all right there. But to begin us, we'll read there on the middle of page two, or the bottom there, Catechism, paragraph 1499. By the sacred anointing of the sick, and the prayers of the priests, the whole church commends those who are ill to the suffering and glorified Lord, that he may raise them up and save them. And indeed, she exhorts them to contribute to the good of the people of God by freely uniting themselves to the passion and death of Christ. Gives us a good overview. What happens by the prayers of the priests? We commend those who are ill to our Lord who has suffered before us, to raise them up and save them. And then, indeed, she exhorts them to contribute to the good of the people of God by uniting themselves to the passion and death of Jesus. As I said, the sacraments can form us to the life of God. And so by this sacrament, one has special graces to endure suffering to the end. So then its natural analogy, one way that we could understand it, 
the Catechism speaks in paragraph 1501, illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. Jesus Christ, the divine physician, gives us a material way to encounter his healing presence poured out in love and mercy that makes us recognize our need for medicine and remedies we do not possess, healing and suffering, and that suffering is not without meaning. So I love about that paragraph from the Catechism is because it's so true. When we go through suffering or when we are faced with life's difficulties, it really refines and shows forth the character of a person. But it's almost a universal experience, or it is a universal experience for us, some more than others, that we know that we're not self-sufficient. So just that natural analogy, we've all been sick, we have all gone through illness, and we know that ultimately we need medicine. There's a deeper reality to that, which we'll talk about the sacrament of anointing the sick, and that is namely spiritual sickness. We need a remedy for our spiritual sickness. But then on a natural level, we can see there must be a medicine. And that's what Jesus Christ gives to us. But then healing and suffering. So our holding up of Jesus on the cross, when he embraces and endures that suffering, ultimately he finds the remedy for the sickness. He finds a remedy by what he has to endure. And it's kind of the same too when we undergo suffering. We unite that to Jesus and then we have an opportunity to find a remedy for that which ills us in the experience because suffering is not without meaning. So then how do we kind of understand this in the figures and foundations we've seen in sacred scripture? So after there in 1.2, letter A on page 3, after the fall, Adam and Eve have eaten the apple, the forbidden fruit. Um, they've said, no, God, you have given us your great word. We kind of want to do it our own way, being tricked by the devil, seeing that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for eating. Um, they kind of strike it out on their own. Uh, but God comes to them and gives them a remedy. He says, all is not lost, right? We've talked about this, but he does say that there's consequences to actions. And this letter A here, um, we could go and read it, but in a sense, God says, here's the consequences, but I'm going to be with you. So right before this, in this section of uh, Genesis, there's actually the promise, the Proto-Evangelium, that there will be a Savior. But I wanted to highlight this and just kind of have it in our mind as we go forward, that the consequences of sin as a path to know the Savior. So we're going to have these experiences, but ultimately we're going to be permitted then because we're going to come to recognize that we need a Savior. So then in letter B here, God identifies himself as the healer of man. 
these short verses from Exodus 15. And then putting this in context, it's Israel's like first experience of freedom. They kind of get the experience, I've left the comforts of the world. And um, they are unable to drink the water because it's too bitter. So then God, through Moses, um, acts by throwing a piece of wood. I thought that was important to take note of. The wood, and then what happens to the water, it becomes fresh, good for drink. Um, but then the Lord promises, if you follow after me, if you listen to my commands, I will not afflict you with any of the diseases which I inflicted the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. So God identifies himself as the healer, which is why uh, just before this, I called Jesus the divine physician. Another thing that we could see for healing, so then letter C there on page three. Back. Naaman is healed by the washing in the Jordan. Um, great story from second book of Kings. Go and look it up. But I think one of the things that we begin to see in this figure, um, there's a mediation of matter that leads to conversion, healing, and then worship of the one true God. That's one thing that I would want to highlight out from there just as I make mention of it. Um, but one that I'd like to spend some time with is from the book of Tobit. I think it's it's such a beautiful um, witness to this understanding of uh, how God imbues matter for healing and then also to see his healing present at work. So if you've never read the book of Tobit, it's your homework tonight. Go and read the book of Tobit, maybe. Um, beautiful story. Takes place uh, in Nineveh. The main One of the main characters is the father of Tobias. That's Tobit. Um, but when we pick it up here in chapter 6, uh, the young man that's talked about is Tobias. He gets sent on a journey. His father has been blinded. Um, he needs some healing. Um, there's some other things that are taking place in the story, so he has to go um, and seek a remedy for his father. And this is where I wanted to pick it up. So when the young man, who is Tobias, went down to wash his feet in the Tigris River, a large fish leaped out of the water and tried to swallow his foot. He shouted in alarm, but the angel said to the young man, grab the fish and hold on to it. He seized the fish and hauled it up on dry land. The angel then said to him, Slit the fish open and take out its gall, heart, and liver, and keep them with you, but throw away the other entrails. Its gall, heart, and liver are useful for medicine. After Tobiah had slit the fish open, he put aside the gall, heart, and liver. Then he roasted and ate part of the fish. For the rest he salted and kept for the journey. Afterward, the two of them traveled on together, till they drew near to Media. Then the young man asked the angel this question, Brother Azariah, what medicine is in the fish heart, liver, and gall? He answered, As for the fish heart and liver, if you burn them to make a smoke in the presence of a man or a woman who is afflicted by a demon or an evil spirit, any affliction will flee and never return. As for the gall, if you apply it to the eyes of the one who has white scales, blowing right into them, sight will be restored. So there's a promise of this medicine that's been granted 
And this angel, I forgot to mention this, this angel is accompanying Tobias or Tobiah along his journey. So he's giving him helpful instructions. So then we see later in the book, in chapter 8, that the fish entrails ward off the demon. So filling the gaps, Tobiah has met his wife. Um, she's been plagued by a demon who kills her husbands, seven of them, before they're able to consummate the marriage. And her family's out of wits of what's going to happen. And Tobiah enters in this story, kind of knowing all this, but trusting that God has a plan. And this is where we pick up our story. When they had finished eating and drinking, they went to retire, wanted to retire. So they brought the young man out and led him to the bedroom. Tobiah, mindful of Raphael's instructions, took the fish lever and heart from the bag where he had them and put them on the embers intended for incense. The odor of the fish repulsed the demon and it fled to the upper regions of Egypt. Raphael went in pursuit of it and there bound it hand and foot. Then Raphael remained immediately. When Sarah's parents left the bedroom and closed the door behind them, Tobiah rose from the bed and said to his wife, My sister, come let us pray and beg our Lord to grant us mercy and protection. She got up and then started to pr they started to pray and beg that they might be protected. He began with these words, Blessed are you, O God of our ancestors. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Let the heavens and all your creation bless you forever. You made Adam and his wife Eve to be his helper and support. And from the two the human race has come. You said it is not good for man to be alone. Let us make him a helper like himself. Now, not with lust, but with fidelity, I take this kinswoman as my wife. Send down your mercy on me and on her, and grant that we may grow old together. Bless us with children. They said together, Amen, Amen. They went to bed for the night. And the next night, Tobiah is not dead. And happily married, the demon no longer affects Sarah. But I want to hearken back to what happened at corruption. When Adam and Eve committed the first original sin, things got put into disorder. Not only does Tobiah put the fish, liver, and heart onto the incense to create the spiritual effect, but he's also entering his wife into proper order with God, our creator. So there's a spiritual conversion that's taking place here. There's spiritual effects from this matter, fish liver and uh, heart, that's warding off the demons, but also there's something deeper going on here. Right order is being restored in the world. They're in proper relationship with God. And so it's harking us back to, we began with, there's some consequences to the effects, then the Lord's our healer. When we follow after him, healing is going to take place. And then we finish up the story, the fish gall heals Tobit's blindness. So Tobiah and Sarah are returning home. Um, Tobiah is excited to be reunited with his family, introduce them to Sarah. But he has something that's going to heal his dad and his physical maladies. Tobiah got up and stumbled out through the courtyard 
gate to meet his son, Tobiah went up to him with the fish gall in his hand and blew into his eyes. Holding him firmly, he said, Courage, father. Then he applied the medicine to his eyes, and it made them sting. Tobiah used both hands to peel the white scales from the corner of his eyes. Tobit saw his son and threw his arms around him. Weeping, he exclaimed, I can see you, son, the light of my eyes. Then he prayed, Blessed be God, blessed be his great name, blessed be all his holy angels. May his great name be with us. And blessed be all the angels throughout all the ages. God it was who afflicted me, and God who has had mercy on me. Now I see my son Tobiah. Then Tobit went back in rejoicing and praising God with full voice. Briefly, just I want to highlight what was the first effect that was brought about in this story. Spiritual healing. Second effect that came was physical healing. It's important to remember as we go forward here. Many other stories that we could look towards in the Elder Testament kind of draw upon and really get a figure of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Um, but we're going to speed forward to the healer himself. So Jesus is the Messiah. So you could go look up and just for the sake of time, um, we don't have all these verses but in a sense promise that jesus or the messiah is going to heal and then the fulfillment of those some of these we actually talked about when we talked about um, the sacrament of confirmation uh, and then that last one you see there at the bottom of page four on letter e matthew 11 verses one to six um, is that account where john the baptist sends his disciples and they say are you the one or should we look for another and jesus sends them back to john and says what do you see? The blind are healed. The lame walk. The deaf can hear. Blessed is the person who takes no offense at me. So he lays off what the Messiah is going to be doing. He says, look, the proofs around you. And he sends them back to John. Um, so the evidence is that the Messiah, the healer, is here. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. So then... Jesus is most notably concerned with the interior affliction that we deal with more than just necessarily our physical afflictions. He cares about those two, but his mission is to hear that, heal that interior disorder first. And we see that um, here in Matthew 9 with that famous story of the paralytic lying on a stretcher. So up there on the top of page five, Jesus entered a boat, made the crossing, and came into his own town. And there people brought to him a paralytic laying on a stretcher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Courage, child, your sins are forgiven. At that, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, Why do you harbor evil thoughts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your stretcher, and go home. He rose and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were struck with awe and glorified God, who had given such authority to human beings. 
So the first effect, man, your sins are forgiven. And then when there's grumbling, Jesus says, well, to show that I can do this, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. So he wants to heal that interior disorder first. And then comes the physical healing. Because if we look throughout all of the Gospels, Jesus doesn't heal everybody. And that could lead us questions why, but he does heal for all of us that interior disorder, the nature of sin in our cooperation with this. He comes to defeat that, put it into the grave. But why Jesus was building up the kingdom, announcing the gospel, saying, the time is now. Repent, follow after me. He gives his disciples, those who are, he's going to send forward, a method to continue his healing presence in the world. So that's what we get here in letter G on the middle of page 5. Jesus institutes that ministry of anointing. So from the call of the twelve, when he commissions them from the Gospel of Mark, he summons the twelve and begins to send them out two by two. And so they went off and preached. What did they preach? Repentance, the same message that Jesus said or began and issued uh, that we talked about when we had our class on the Kerygma. They drove out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. They anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. And then later on in that next citation there from Mark's account of the ascension, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak new languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Moving on to letter H, we see that's happening because from the Acts of the Apostle in chapter 5, thus they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on one or another of them. A large number of people from the towns in the vicinity of Jerusalem also gathered, bringing the sick and those disturbed by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. The promise is being fulfilled in the apostles. And then we land to what the church points to as like something directly from scripture as well as attested to by the apostles from the letter of James for this anointing of the sick. In letter I there, is anyone among you suffering? He writes, he should pray. Is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? He should summon the presbyters or the priests of the church and they should go and pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. So we arrive kind of an understanding of what's taking place. What's the framework of the anointing of the sick that we approach it with? So then let's break it down with what it is, actually. So in 1.3 there at the bottom of page 5, we have matter. The physical encounter, the outward sign that has been instituted by Christ is just what he said. In Mark there, anointed them with oil, but it's blessed oil. 
paragraph 1512 from the Catechism. In the ancient times and the liturgical traditions of both East and West, we have testimonies to the practice of anointing of the sick with blessed oil. It's normally taken from the olive plant, but it doesn't have to be. I found that interesting. Prism, as we talked about, had to be olive oil, and it was blessed with or infused with balsam. But um, you could just by necessity of some other place have blessed oil for uh, the anointing of the sick that could be from canola plant. I don't know if that's actually the plant that makes canola oil. I don't think it is, but it could be avocado oil. Generally, I will say it is olive oil. And just for the sake of time, there's reasons why olive oil is probably most fitting with the connotations it brings in the heart of scripture. Um, the form that's used, so the words that one would hear when being anointed, through this holy anointing, may the Lord and his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. The anointing formula is said only once, but is done both on the forehead and on the hands. So that's... First sentence is the forehead, second sentence is the hands. Let's say you get in an accident and your arms are something, something forbid, but you can do either like the kneecaps or elbows or depending on what the injury is. It doesn't have to be the hands. Oh, you don't have hands. Mm -hmm. Forehead and then some extremity of the body. This is what I appreciate because, like, I can teach from the theology of the sacrament of anointing the sick, but as we actually get to 1.5 there on the top of page six, I've never done this myself and I've never seen it done. Anointing? Yep. So, uh, what you get here, this is from the catechism, um, that sentence, but the practical nature of Father Worth actually anointing individuals is such a blessing to happen here. That's where I somewhat feel unqualified to be teaching tonight just because like, I have no practical experience of this, um, but and why I'm just appreciative. He can actually speak to some of here's the encounters. And that's one thing that Father Clark wasn't able to be here um, nor was Vern, but both of them said, bummer, I got to miss tonight because I actually have a story of a healing from anointing of the sick because one thing we'll um, talk about or one thing that we've kind of seen is that this healing is meant to bring about reconciliation with God first. Healings may take place, but at the heart of this sacrament is this encounter with the healing presence of God that heals, heals interior disorder. It brings us forgiveness of sins, there may also be healings that take place from the anointing. Top of page 6 there, 1.5, ministers. So we've seen only priests, um, those with the fullness of holy orders, bishops, and the priests, um, presbyters, are ministers of anointing of the sick. Not deacons, not lay people. Um, 1.6 there, who can receive anointing of sick, those who are gravely ill at the point of death, before operations. So paragraph 15, 14 from the Catechism, anointing of sick is not a sacrament for those only who are at the point of death. 
Hence, as soon as anyone of the faithful begins to be in the danger of death from sickness or old age, the fitting time for him to receive this sacrament has certainly already arrived. And then following up in the next paragraph, if a sick person who received the anointing recovers his health, he can in another case of grave illness receive the sacrament again. If during the same illness the person's condition becomes more serious, the sacrament may be repeated. And then it is fitting to receive the anointing of sick just prior to a serious operation. Though the same holds for elderly whose frailty becomes more pronounced. So serious operation, it's not like guidelines, but you know, anytime it's possible you could die, which every surgery you could die, but those going under um, anesthesia, um, you know, it's something that maybe you're going to be close to a major artery. I'm um, just to leave that open there. Uh, Father Clark wanted me to relate that even non-Catholics can receive the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Yeah, and here's the criteria. Danger of death or kind of that serious operation. Person must be baptized, um, not obstinate to the church, so they can't be actively resistant against it. And they also have to have faith in the healing power of Christ through um, this mediation. Um, and then there's not a minister of their own to uh, pray for them. And then they have to ask for it on their own. They have to be open to the grace of the sacrament. So then how is it celebrated? Talked about how it's done, but um, with an it's celebrated with an invitation to believe. It is a response of faith in sacramental signs. Paragraph 15, 17. Like all the sacraments of the anointing of the sick, it is a liturgical and communal celebration, whether it takes place in the family home, a hospital or church for a single sick person or a whole group of sick persons. If circumstance suggests it, the celebration of the sacrament can be preceded by the sacrament of penance and then followed by the sacrament of Eucharist, as Father Worth was explaining. And then... The word and sacrament form an indivisible whole in the following paragraph. The liturgy, the word, preceded by an act of repentance, opens the celebration. The words of Christ, the witness of the apostles, awaken the faith of the sick person and the community to ask the Lord for the strength of the Spirit. That's where I say it's a response of faith. So there's a proclamation of the word, this encounter with the word of God, capital W and capital G, as in the person of Jesus. And then the response to that is to say, heal me. <laughs> Lord, I want to be healed. Um, and then the sacrament, the celebration includes principal elements. The priests of the church in silence lay hands on the sick person, pray over them in faith of the church. There's an epiclesis proper to the sacrament, a calling down of the Holy Spirit, but that's what James talks about in his letter. Um, this prayer of the priest over the sick person, and then the anointing with blessed oil. So what it does there on page seven, it's accusation and then its effects, what are the fruits? Um, what you have here is kind of summarized, paragraph 1532, so it just kind of quickly lists out the bullets and that's in the middle of the page, A, B, C, D, E. Um, but it explains it more broadly in paragraph 1520, which just how I want to open up this last section.
The first grace of this sacrament is one of strengthening peace and courage to overcome the difficulties that go with the condition of serious illness or the frailty of old age. This grace is a gift of the Holy Spirit who renews trust and faith in God and strengthens against the temptations of the evil one, the temptation to discouragement and anguish in the face of death. This assistance from the Lord by the power of his spirit is meant to lead a sick person to the healing of the soul, but also of the body, if such is God's will. Furthermore, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So as I said, at the heart of the sacrament is that healing of the spiritual ills. And then if it's also in God's will, there can accompany physical healings. So then what are the effects? The grace of the sacrament, letter A, unites the sick person in the passion of Christ for his own good and that of the whole church. Makes that union with Christ, suffering with him for the person's own good. And then go to the church. Letter B, give strength, peace, and courage to endure in a Christian manner the suffering of illness or old age. So it fortifies oneself to suffer well. C, it gives the forgiveness of sins if the sick person was not able to obtain it through the sacrament of penance. D, the restoration of health if it is conducive to the salvation of his soul. And then E, the preparation for the passing over to eternal life. So then just to conclude there from letter E, um, these two points in Roman numeral I, one and two um, talk, because like we've heard last rites or the sacrament also used to be called um, the extreme unction, um, kind of comes from this preparation for the passing over to eternal life. And the Catechism speaks beautifully in it in paragraphs 1523 and then 1524. So that first paragraph of the sacrament of anointing the sick is given to all who suffer from serious illness and infirmity. Even more rightly, it is given to those at the point of departing this life. So it also carries a name of the sacrament of those departing. The anointing of the sick completes our conformity to the death and resurrection of Christ just as baptism began it. It completes the holy anointings that mark the whole Christian life, that of baptism, which sealed the new life in us, that of confirmation, which strengthened us for the combat of this life. This last anointing fortifies the end of our earthly life like a solid rampart for the final struggles before entering the Father's house. I bolded that last sentence because I think it's so beautiful to see this connection, how God connects us all the way throughout our life. And then, just to conclude, in addition to the anointing of the sick, the church offers those who are about to leave this life the Eucharist as viaticum, food for the journey. Communion in the body and blood of Christ received at this moment of passing over to the Father has a particular significance and importance. It is a seed of eternal life in the power of the resurrection, according to the words of the Lord. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now I'll raise him up on the last day. So I mentioned, I just wanted to briefly talk about one other component of Lord of the Rings. The food that the elves give the fellowship as they journey on from Rivendell 
is Limbus. And it has this quality to it that sustains them even with the smallest particle for their journey. And in their darkest times, it's the most fortifying. And Tolkien uses Limbus bread as an analogy for the Eucharist. And so as we talk about viaticum, this last food for the journey, um, he details how this bread journeys with the fellowship to the point of death. And then when death is defeated. I think actually um, Peter Jackson, it's like one of the last things that Frodo and Sam are seen yeah. eating yeah. in Lord of the Rings. And so the church gives us this final nourishment of Christ himself as food for the journey. Thus, just as the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist form a unity called the sacraments of Christian initiation, so too it can be said that penance, the anointing of the sick, and the Eucharist as viaticum constitute at the end of Christian life the sacraments that prepare for our heavenly homeland or the sacraments that complete the earthly pilgrimage. Uh, to conclude tonight, thanks for everyone. I don't know if anyone has any questions. Let's open it up. Um, I wanted to just kind of end with a meditation um, for you calling to mind this scene from the Gospel of John um, with our Lord asking us a question. This whole process of coming to class is not just to learn a lot about God and about the church he established, but to actually encounter him. So just to spend a few moments here in meditation with um, this passage from the Gospel of John. But All right, let's close here. Um, again, with the sign of the cross, I'm just going to read this, give you some space to um, engage with our Lord Jesus in it. So maybe a word's going to come to mind or the phrase. Um, I'm prompting you to ask the question, like, Jesus, hear him say, do you want to be well? Uh, and I might just call, there's five porticos, there's five entryways. Jesus had how many wounds? Five. So there's something going on more here than just meets the, meets the eye. Um, and calling to mind here, too, like, we all might be dealing with some unwellness physically, um, but recognize that uh, all of us can say that we're unwell in some aspect spiritually. So I'll read it once, space, read it again, just give you a, a few more moments, and then I'll ask Father Worth to give us a blessing to conclude this evening. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to pray. Help us to encounter the living God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem at the Sheep Gate a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, with five porticos. These lay, in these lay a large number of ill, blind, lame, and crippled. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he said to them, 
Do you want to be well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am on the way, someone else gets down there before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your mat, and walk. Immediately the man became well, took up his mat, and walked. Stirred up. While I am on the way, someone else gets down there before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your mat, and walk. Immediately the man became well, took up his mat, and walked. Thank you for listening to this great content from St. Peter Catholic Church. For more content, for other talks, for more information, please visit St. Peter Catholic Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, on Apple iTunes or on Podbean. 